Tara nodded. So be it, he said. Long ago, I yearned to be a hero, without knowing, in truth, what a hero was. Now, perhaps, I understand it a little better. A grower of turnips, or a shaper of clay, a comet farmer, or a king. Every man is a hero if he strives more for others than for himself alone. Welcome to 1001 Good Nights, a new podcast about the stories behind bedtime stories. Turn the pages with two new dads, one a psychologist and one a book editor, as they try to understand the nighttime ritual of their foreseeable future. Howdy, Ben. Hey, man. So we are going to talk about... um, I think what we can both agree upon is one of our favorite books or, or series of books, um, to be more precise, The Chronicles of Pradain. Um, and I, I'm, I'm super excited about this because I, to this day, I still think, even though this is one of my favorite books from childhood growing up, you may be the only other person I know of who's read this book and, uh, and enjoyed it. So I think that's part of the reason why I'm so excited for this is just because it, it feels like uh, a bit of a secret um, that I remember reading this book growing up and and I, you know, I love this book. I would put it right up there with, you know, the Lord of the Rings and the Chronicles of Narnia and Redwall and a lot of those more, um, more well-known series of kind of young adult, I don't know, fantasy adventure sure. stories. Um, but growing up, it was, again, I literally knew no one else who had read this Um which in a way was kind of fun because it felt like my own little secret that only I was kind of privy to. I mean, obviously, it's a somewhat um, well-known book, um, which we can talk a little bit more about. But I, yeah, I think it, it was just, it was really cool that it was my, it felt like my own little thing. And then we really bonded over this, I think, in college or, or sometime afterwards when we realized that we both had this passion for this series of books. So, um that being said, I'm, uh, I want to get your thoughts on it. And in, in particular, maybe a place to start is like, how come more people don't know about this book um, that in so many ways is comparable to things like Lord of the Rings or the Chronicles of Narnia? Yeah, sure. So I think the, <laughs> the first thing is to say that it, it's not like it's entirely unknown. The, uh, the, the fifth book, the High King won the Newberry Medal, and it was... Um, it's certainly, uh, I see it around in libraries and also all the various iterations of, uh, sort of young adult fantasy book cover trends. I, mm. I feel like it, it has managed to uh, appear in all of those, all, all the strata of that, you know, that I, when I see it at, at, uh, used bookstores and places like that. Yeah. And he had a, Lord Alexander had a really successful writing career. He, he wrote lots of books. There's a documentary about him. So, you know, while I'm in much in the same boat that you are in terms of this was uh, sort of a, a private thing and, and also a foundational for our friendship because I didn't really know anybody else that knew about it, we're not the only keepers of the flame of Pridane, <laughs> if that makes sense. And I think there's a reason, you know, that it maybe didn't have uh, – doesn't have the same force that Tolkien or C.S. Lewis's books. I think maybe Tolkien – was a more serious world builder and C.S. Lewis has a more thoughtful distillation of approachable apologetics and allegory. And it, it, 
they they uh, also their their worlds were more fully formed right from the outset. So I mean, I would say even though Lloyd Alexander has the same uh, carries the same torch for the world storytelling traditions that Tolkien and Lewis do, I feel, and he manages to take himself maybe less serious than they do, but he all and he still cares deeply about the characters he creates. It also feels like the first book in the series, the Book of Three, like when you compare it to the Fellowship of the Ring or the Land of the Witch in the Wardrobe, like it's fine, right? <laughs> like, I mean, or maybe, I mean, I don't know. I, I haven't, apart from you, I, I don't really compare notes on this w- with other people. So maybe, maybe the Book of Three is your favorite book. But I mean, even compared to the other books in uh, the Chronicles of Pridane, and we can we can talk about. I I, I grew up thinking Pridane, so it's going to be a real struggle to, 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 keep, to keep that straight. But even compared to the other books in the series, the Book of Three, to me, always felt like, eh, okay, that's, a, that's sort of your standard coming-of-age young adult fantasy book. Is that, is, was that your impression, too? Or? Yeah, so I think, I think that definitely could be a part of it, is that he, he didn't lead off super strong. The first book is, is, like you said, it's fine, but it's not, there, it lacks a kind of depth that maybe some of those other um, series had right from the outset. So maybe it kind of failed to catch on as quickly right away. Right. And then I I, I also kind of wonder, like culturally, maybe we kind of burnt out on young adult, epic young adult fantasy uh, stories in in sort of like the first half of the 20th century. And then when he came out with these, like in the, in the sixties, people were, you know, collectively we were kind of like, eh, you know, like <laughs> sci-fi was really coming on the scene and maybe we just didn't have enough like uh, bandwidth to, to take on yet another epic fantasy series. So I, I kind of wonder if that plays into it too a little bit. Well, I think if you talk to people in the book publishing business, they will say there is, you, there is, <laughs> there is no limit to the amount of bandwidth that you should devote <laughs> to these like marketable young adult fantasy series. <laughs> that is, there are just a lot of boats on the rising tide of right. Harry Potter and <laughs> some of these other series. Um, but, um, yeah, I think so. But the, the so the, the, the first book, how would you even summarize like the, the, the plot if you were going to break it down? I mean, what, what would you say happens in it, you know, to sort of perform like uh, according to form yeah so there's a a a kind of angsty young um assistant pig keeper who lives lives on this farm and and his responsibility is to to tend to the oracular pig henwen Uh, (laughs) and he of course is wishes that he could be a, a a warrior and a hero and wants to learn how to use a sword and you know his the the um the other people on the farm um the old man Dalbin and, and the the other uh, Cole, the other um, the one who's kind of in charge of maintaining the farm. They're you know they're trying to encourage him to no just you know stick to your stick to your farming and your uh, your pig keeping and and then of course something you know something happens. This this villain, the Horn King, um, shows up and Henwen the pig ends up running away and so Taran has to chase after Henwen and as he does he gets caught up. He meets meets Gwydion, the 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 amazing kind of hero of the world who. Tarn looks up to and admires and wants to be like, um, and then they get separated and he gets locked in a dungeon and meets this, a young girl who's about his age and they discover a magic sword and they go off and try and, uh, find 
Henwin the pig again. And right, I, that's one of my favorite things about it is that even though he's on this heroic quest, ultimately he's still just trying to get his pig back. So I, I thought that <laughs> right that that roots him a little bit, you know. <laughs> exactly, and then of course he the. the you know the 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 story ends the you know the villain we, we don't want to spoil anything too much but um it, it's got a relatively happy ending and he gets you know he gets i think he gets a it, what sort of foreshadows maybe a little bit some of the rest of the the series he gets a sense that maybe being a hero isn't um quite exactly what he imagined uh, in his mind right yeah no so that's yeah that 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 sounds like the plot to me and i would say that i mean hearing it like that um while it doesn't you know, maybe capture some of the, the whims in the dialogue. I feel like that kind of sums up what it is. I mean, it's, it's, that's, that's kind of standard fare. You know, young man goes out in the world, grows up a little bit, learns that not to judge by appearances, um, you know, uh, meet, meets a girl. There's a, a sort of ultimate showdown between good and evil. And it ends with, uh, you know, one of the characters defeats well, I, you said no spoilers, but you know what, whatever, man. Like, like defeat, defeat the Horn King because he says something like, um, "You know, I saw the truth of the world and knew no chains could hold me." And it, it's kind of this apocalyptic end, ending. Um, and then afterwards, the, he he Lloyd Alexander has to sort of recalibrate the whole series. Like, where where do you go from there? And that's one of the reasons that I was so intrigued by by picking this because, in many ways, the rest of the series is about like once the hero's gone through the heroic journey, what's next? Like, how do you, like, how do you form a sequel in a, if the first book is already, the character already comes of age, how does he continue to come to age over, you know, three to five, three to five books? <laughs> so. Right. And that's where I think in, in some ways, the even though this book, la the first book lacks a little bit of depth compared to its counterparts in other series, it, when you consider the series as a whole, and we'll talk about the rest of the series later, I think it kind of works in that the the first book is like it's it's him walking through what he thinks the hero's journey is going to be, right? And it, it, you know, and then he realizes, oh, you know, like that's that's not quite it. And then the rest of the the series is him making his way through a more um, a kind of more in depth and true, really true to life hero's journey through the rest of yeah, the story. No, that's, that's exactly right. And I think that's not, uh, just our impression. That's something that Lloyd Alexander explicitly says in the author's note to, uh, the black cauldron, which is the, the second book. So he says, while extending the story, I have also tried to deepen it. If a darker thread runs through the high spirits, it is because the happenings are of serious import, not only to the land of Pridane, but to Taran, the assistant pig keeper himself. Although an imaginary world, Pridane, is essentially not too different from our real one, where humor and heartbreak, joy and sadness are interwoven. Even in a fantasy realm, growing up is accomplished not without cost. So he's really thinking about like what it means, you know, and and different series do this in different ways. So in the Land of the Witch and the Wardrobe, they literally reset by the, the kids come back from the wardrobe and they're, they're kids again. And even though they'd aged into, you know, Kings and Queens and, and some books do it where things become a little grimmer and the language becomes a little saltier and the, the showdowns with the arch villains become a little more dramatic and higher stakes, which is sometimes hard to do. It's hard to keep on upping. Like if it's, right. if, you, if you face down ultimate evil, Turns out, actually, there was an ultimate or evil. <laughs> it's out the second there. Death Star problem. Right, right. That's <laughs> no, that's exactly right. But so what, the way he does it is he he really refocuses 
the series and in the, the second book, The Black Cauldron, there's still the sort of uh, ar- ar- archetypical arch nemesis out there, but the real, uh, I would say the real ad- adversaries in the second book are people within Taran's own circle of companions. And one of them is a, a rival and the other one is a traitor. So it's this, it's, it's interpersonal, uh, it's interpersonal conflict on a very human level instead of kind of a high stakes, good and evil, uh, plot that, that the first book has. And which, which is a little Star Warsy again, if you think about it, like the, oh, the yeah. first Star Wars is all, is very archetypal, but then the second one gets really human. Yeah. It's about well, and, the relationships between characters. And I think that's, I think it's no accident that Empire Strikes Back is widely considered one of the best sequels of all time. And a lot of people, <laughs> a lot of people for whom it's, that's the, that that's their favorite movie. I like, it's like a point of <laughs> a badge of pride, right? You know, that, that it's the more complicated one and it, and it doesn't have like, the same like neat ending that the other, and, and that's the way that the, the black cauldron ends too, is that the, uh, things aren't neatly tied up. Like it's kind of an uneasy book. Like throughout the book, Tarn is troubled. He's really troubled by things and he's troubled by not having grown up as much as he assumed that he had. And he's, he he thinks he should be past these kind of petty jealousies and all these other people are making sacrifices and dying. And he's not sure what to do with those, those sacrifices. Like he's really, there's a real uneasiness that pervades that he makes choices and he thinks maybe he made the wrong choices and it's not, even like a lot of times in when you read these books, you know, the choices they're supposed to make. And, and then if they make the one, even if it's, they have to give something up, like, no, that was the right choice. And you're not always sure that he's doing the, he's doing the right thing, like in these books. And, and at the end, the, the two adversaries, uh, the rival and the traitor both die. And both of them are memorialized and honored at the end of the book, one for what he was and the other for what he became. And that's a really complicated, like, it's not just, a, a redemption story because the person who betrayed them, like he, he, he ends unrepent. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a really different, like, how do you judge a man's life? You know, where do you pick, like what segment do you, you judge them by and yeah. how do you interact with them? You know, it's, it's really complicated stuff. And that, I think that's what make, when you look at this series as a whole, and we can talk more about this going forward, but I think that between books one and two, it takes a real, um, a real turn towards psychological and, and even kind of moral complexity that, right. that maybe the first one doesn't have. And, and, and realism like in, in that way too. So like, it's not, it's not so much about crossing a threshold into adulthood, but it's more about sort of crossing back and forth in this yeah, right. <laughs> continuum, right? Where you're, you're uneasily sort of sliding back and forth and, and selling him for the long haul with your own shortcomings and not not being as mature as you thought you were and the frustration that um, it's I don't know if that's what growing up is that that is what a gr- being a grown up is I think <laughs> little girl Tarn interrupted I don't but I'm not a little girl I lonely protested haven't I just been finished telling you are you slow witted I'm so sorry for you it's terrible to be dull and stupid. What's your name? She went on. It makes me feel funny not knowing someone's name. Wrong-footed, you know, or as if I had three thumbs on one hand, if you see what I mean. It's clumsy. I am Tarn of Cairdalburn, Tarn said, then wished he had not. This, he realized, could be another trap. 
That's lovely, I'll only say gaily. I'm very glad to meet you. I suppose you're a lord or a warrior or a war leader or a bard or a monster, though we haven't had any monsters for a long time. I am none of these, said Tarn, feeling quite flattered that Ilanwi should have taken him for one of them. What else is there? I am an assistant pig keeper, Tarn said. I, I, I was I was actually thinking the the theme of the series, you, you could sum up the theme of the series as an exploration of the opportunity cost of heroism. Like all of the trade-offs that you don't anticipate that go along with kind of maturing into the world and be, and becoming a major actor and influencer in the world. No, that's, that's exactly right. And you know, the, the, the third book is, is it, 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 it has that same kind of choice. So it's, um, theoretically about princess, princess Ilan, we, is kidnapped and then they have to go rescue her. And so you'd think it would be about that. And honestly, something we can talk about is, her her character and how you would think this book would be about her since it's about her kidnapping because um, she's a great character that could honestly use a lot more development but even though it's supposedly about her kidnapping it's really kind of about uh while tarn is looking for her, he has to babysit this prince rune and who's very clumsy and always making mistakes but is intended to be a king and tarn always wishes that he was of royal birth so he's very jealous of this guy and Prince Rune is actually supposed to marry Alanwi, so he's got to sort of be a mentor to this person who's actually his romantic rival. And so it's actually about mentorship and in mentoring Rune and teaching him to grow up, Taran also learns a lot of lessons. And so it's a, and so it does, I feel like, squander maybe a chance to, 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 right. to talk about Alanwi. But it's about the same thing. And then the, the, the fourth book is about... Uh, Taran, he's a he's a foundling, so he doesn't know who his parents are, and he wants to figure out what it is. So he it, it's about apprenticeship. So he goes and learns all these trades, and is a smith and a weaver, and is trying to find his place in the world, sort of learn about his career, vocation, that sort of thing. It's, and and so and then the fifth book, the fifth book is, I mean, it's fantastic. Right? I mean, we, it, it's 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 almost a, yeah. it and theoretically, you know, in, in the same way that maybe the readers have been growing up with series like this or even the Harry Potter books, you know, it, 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 it's a lot more ambitious and scope and even length. Yeah. It gets pretty heavy. Um, yeah, lots of, lots of people die. Right. And, and in many ways, uh, the, the story of the book is, uh, about Taran making all these people promises as they die and then having, and then feeling, you know, carrying the weight of that responsibility right. um so there's a and in the end choosing to stay in right. the world rather than kind of float off to the right the summer lands with with everyone else right and and that's a very uh you know th that's the kind of typical fantasy ending is that they they've defeated evil in this realm and they go off to kind of the reward or happily ever after and then he he's made all these promises and even though it means all the people he loves are leaving. He's going to stay behind and, you know, fulfill, fulfill these things. And some of the, some of the death scenes where he's making these promises, um, are really affecting. I mean, I think as a child, I remember being really moved when, when, uh, call dies, he, he's at his side and call says, uh, 
I'm a farmer, but warrior enough to know my own death wound. Go along, my boy. Carry with you no more burdens than you must. And then Tarn buries him in this, uh, the, the fallow lands. And the fallow lands are lands that were once prosperous, but were ru- ruined because people fought over them. You know, there's a lot of, you know, it's very, the book, the books are very conflicted about warfare Yeah. Um, in a way that a lot of fantasy books pretend to be, but really aren't. I think that, you know, there's, he's like, oh no, we know this is evil, but, but honestly, we're really enjoying ourselves in these fight scenes. I mean, right. there really is a sense of the cost. Tragic. And, right. Yeah. And then, and then, um, he, he says, Tarn says, sleep all grow of turnips and gather of apples. You are far from where you long to be. So too am I. And then he promises, call, he's going to come back and he's going to till these lands and make them fertile again. And so it's, he, he, his job is to, is to be steward of, of these lands. And he, and he takes that seriously, even if it means rejecting sort of, you know, sailing off into the, quite literally sailing off into the sunset. <laughs> right. And the book, you know, the, the series to me, in a strange way, it feels more like a, in the kind of classical terms, it feels more like a tragedy than a comedy um, in, in the sense that it's, it's really about what, Tarn gives up and and kind yeah. of the, the grief and the pain associated with that. He he does become a hero and he becomes a ruler. Um but that's completely colored by the, all the yeah, the grief and the loss associated with getting there. Right. And the, and the thing is that's what he wanted all along was to was to be of noble birth and then he right. eventually discovers that he is the high king and it's not it's not the triumphant Mm-mm. pronouncement that that you would think it would be because it's very much kingship in in terms of this almost debt or burden that he owes duty and obligation right yeah yeah, yeah. no and that's and it, it that's why it even though in some ways the the characters um especially in the beginning books and even the kind of the plot elements they're they're not entirely novel i mean they're, they're pretty archetypal um, right. but, but to me where the, the stories really shine are, and, and I remember feeling this on a primitive level as a kid reading it, like I really related to Tarn more than a lot of other, uh, books I was reading at the time. Like it, it rang true to me as how it felt to be an adolescent kind of, or a yeah. young adolescent growing up in, in a way that I didn't relate to characters in Lord of the Rings or Narnia or, or other books. And, and so there's, to me, there's something about the he nails the kind of like the, the process of psychological maturity and maturation. Like in, in a strange way, he just really, really gets at that. It's very, very poignant and rings really true. I think, even though the characters are, are very typed and the, the plot lines are not entirely novel, that right. aspect of it really rings true to me. Yeah. And and that's why I think it was, even though he has, like I said, the same triad. So the, Taran and then Ilan, you know, Ilanwi, and then there's always a, an older, fluther flam, uh, sort of a buffoon, buffoonish sidekick, person, yeah. the sidekick. But he's older and he's usually kind of a fraud in some ways. So fluther flam is pretends to be a bar, but isn't really because he could never master all the lessons. And he has a harp, but they always the strings break when he exaggerates. And so all the that's other one of the best gags in, in, yeah, in no, children's it's, it's book. Great. Like that's such a great running. No, that's right. But he's, 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 it's, 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 that's a, it's interesting because he's usually older and, uh, helps temper Tarn, but he himself is kind of, even though he's older, he has a lot of immaturity. And so right. he's not really a role model. And, and sometimes he's having the comic relief and that's, 
there's that same, you know, in some books, he's a, uh, like a traveling, like magician, or he will be a versifier or a storyteller, or he'll be, uh, in, in the, uh, Arcadians, he's a, a poet named Fronto who was to- toned into a, turned into a donkey or a jackass, you know, <laughs> so like, but, but so, but it, and it's, it's the same, but it's the same type. So, but I think because, uh, Lloyd Alexander is, it's kind of like a, those Tom Petty songs. Like he's, it's, it's, it's his formula, <laughs> but he's, he's got it down. Right, so right. It, it frees him up to just kind of, because he's got that part of it exactly, it frees him up to do other things in, in the stories, um, because he knows that these characters are going to, you know, play true to type. So, right. And I think, you know, maybe the idea of, um, that kind of tragic element in it or the, the really exploring the costs of maturing and growing up. I kind of wonder if maybe that's what sets it apart to me from Narnia and Lord of the Rings. And, um, and, and there's a little bit more of that in Harry Potter, I think. Um, yeah. And and so I, I feel like maybe that's, it's kind of unique selling point, but you can see why maybe that wasn't enough to get it a lot of traction in mainstream because that's kind of a hard it, it, it's a it's a sad set of books like it, it's, yeah. it's very very sad and, and like <laughs> i don't know if tragedy sells real well in the, right. the like young adult fiction market <laughs> yeah well i mean especially because um you know the there is this uh, it's more exciting to have this infinite possibility like you right you, the, the back of a wardrobe can actually be a, a realm where you become the king and queen. And then, you know, Harry Potter, just an ordinary muggle, they can become a wizard, you know, and so who is the most important person you know, in, right. in, in, in the world? And, and uh, I mean, Tarn has some of that. He ends up becoming the high king and he does, you know, he is the one who is sort of at the center of this cosmic conflict between good and evil, his decisions. But what happens in the end is, all, all almost all of his friends leave and all the magic and enchantment from the world leaves. And so he, he sticks around to help people, you know, <laughs> build harbors and learn how to like become better potters and farmers. And right. That's what he chooses to do. Like that's it. <laughs> right. He sort of starts, a, you know, he starts a career fair and, like, yeah, right, right. <laughs> and teaches people about crop rotation. Right. Yeah. And you know, and it's not, that's not unheard. I mean, there are uh, like, once again, somebody, he's not the only person who does this in young adult, you know, fiction. There are other books where there are hard choices and, and things like that. And, um, you know, even, even in the line of which in the wardrobe, they come back from Narnia, you know, and, and become children again. So that, you know, you, they, there's people give things up, but I don't know this, this, he, I haven't encountered anything quite like this. And maybe it's just that accident of, like we say, we, when you, when you read something so much and we, we think this is objective, but it's actually subjective, you know, we, we, for, for us, like it, it rings true because we, it, it was such an intense thing for us in in our childhood. And so it, it's, you know, art, our life imitating art <laughs> in that sense. <laughs> then for, for us, when, when we were experiencing sort of adolescent emotion, it, 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 it seemed to play out the way that we, we, encountered it in these books but maybe the books had something to do with how we encountered it you know but yeah that's true um but i think that's a hard like adolescent young adolescent angst is a is a tricky 
like emotional landscape to capture. And, and I, I feel like it's very easy to get, um, to just sort of like give it a nod and, and make it sort of superficial yeah. or to go overboard. And like, I found the last few Harry Potter books a little irritating. Like the angstiness was like too much. It was kind of like over the top for me. And, and this, I feel like this series really captured that at, at least for me personally. Um, yeah. And that's all. And so that's one thing to talk about it, both in terms of adolescence and even what it's like to be a, a kid. Cause one of the things we've said about kids books is, uh, they like maybe children recognize uh what the like the confusion that they that they feel is mirrored in max where the wild things are the you know the anger and you can't quite identify it and it's out of control and the the chaos is reflected on the page and the same way for books like harry potter maybe where it's over the top but if you're an adolescent reading harry potter you know that's how things feel things feel over the top and melodramatic yeah. and and I didn't read the Harry Potter books as a as an adolescent. I read them as an adult. That's a really good point. Me too. So um maybe that colors my impression like, oh, this is going a little bit overboard here. Um whereas I did I, I read the the um Chronicles of Pridame before I entered adolescence. And right. so and so yeah, this this checks out. You know, so. <laughs> Although it's interesting going back and read because I didn't read it again. I mean I probably read it when I was I actually don't know how old, but maybe eight, no, not eight, maybe 10, um, 11, something like that. And then I didn't read it again until last week. <laughs> um, and I still feel like it, that, uh, what it captures kind of emotionally and psychologically for, for Tarn in particular, who is obviously the, the protagonist and gets by far most of the, the attention. Um, it, it, there's something about it that still, I think it, it, he nails it like some other authors maybe didn't quite. Yeah, just just his uh, propensity for blurting things out, you know, <laughs> and, and 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 then also the the kind of non, uh, like there's a lot there's a lot of scenes of him at uh, at the loom and weaving and doing kind of non heroy things right. and and like his reaction to the to those tasks. I mean, I think that's. But being in his head all the time about wanting right. to be a hero, like that, that, right. fe- that feels very true to me, like doing all sorts of mundane stuff in your daily life and in your head, imagining yourself doing much more heroic, exciting things. That's right. And doing, and so it's interesting because the things that he's doing are, were sort of exotic and foreign. Like I've, I've never seen a, a loom in real <laughs> life, in real life, but I, but the way that he, uh, and you know, deals with the frustration of doing something and it not being good enough and starting over again. And that's a, that's a familiar feeling. And the, the, the frustration that he feels seemed very familiar. So that's, which is one of the gifts of fantasy is that it lets you examine sort of everyday emotions in a different setting. So you can see them more clearly. And it, it does that really well with his adolescent impatience and, and, and things like that. Right. What do you think? Okay. So a question for you is we, you, you alluded to this earlier, but my biggest critique of the books is um, Ilanwi, like in that she, she, in some ways she's, I mean, Tarn's the most compelling character, I guess, but she, she is a really close set. Like she, she could have been developed much, much more. Yeah. Um, and one of my thoughts is that I don't think until the last book, the, the author never has multiple plot lines going at once. It's always, there's only ever one plot yeah. line. But in the final book, he, he shifts around a little bit. So you, get, you start to get multiple plot lines. 
And I feel like he, for whatever reason, he he didn't do that, but he could have made Castle of Lear a slightly longer book and done multiple plot lines to really flesh out Ilami's character a little bit more. Because there, and her character, but in particular, her interactions with Taran are really, there's like a spark of really good chemistry. It it almost reminds me of... um, Han and Leia in The Empire Strikes Back. Like yeah. their sort of like bantery back and forth is just one of the, to me, like the jewels of that of that series. And so that's my regret for the, this series is that she wasn't, she and their relationship wasn't developed a little bit more. Yeah, and, and, and there's some really interesting stuff that they do with her, even in the short page time that she gets where she has magically had her memories altered so she doesn't really remember Taran and, and and so she is being controlled by we don't need to go too deeply by the by this evil queen witch character and and so Taran has to sort of woo her again or convince her to you know yeah. to find her true self and and then in the end she has to give up uh sort of her magic capabilities or rena- there's a renunciation for her so she makes she and she makes that same or encounters that same opportunity cost yeah um that they do and it's kind of frustrating because she is she's always sort of set up as the most interesting most common sense most with it character in the series right and so if she's the most interesting character why isn't she like the, the center of it all and it's unfortunate that yeah that she's she's the most interesting character because she help she's able to help Taran develop in you know more interesting ways you know? right so, um, and, and maybe it's because the, the book is about growth and Taran has more growth to do, you know, growing to do than she does. Yeah. And so, but, that's true. Uh, but I mean, I, but yeah, I think it, it there could be, <laughs> there, there, there's definitely room for, for, for more of her. Right. Um, so what's your, so there, there's probably a lot of people who, um, listen to this who have not read it um, and are hopefully maybe a little bit intrigued. If you had to kind of sum up though, what's, what's your pitch for this series for like why more people should read this series? Um, well, I would say that uh, young adult fantasy is uh, obviously a very popular thing. It's <laughs> those right. are the books that, that, that sell the, the best, you know, and whether it's the, Harry Potter books or the Chronicles of Narnia or those uh, Rick Riordan, uh, Perseus Jackson oh, yeah. <laughs> books. Yeah. And the, the, and they're wrestling with similar things. And as we've said, this book uh, does it as well as any of them. I mean, maybe the other ones have different other things going for them, but the, the particular problems contained in the phrase young adult fantasy. <laughs> like that, <laughs> This is the book that that meets those the series that meets those head on, right? Um, and and also it is a series that is uh, not just fun, but I think it is genuinely ennobling. Like I think you, mm. I think it, Tarn is a better person for having gone through the series, and I, I think that readers are too. Yeah, that's great. I the way I sometimes have described it is, you know. I, you ask people, have you, you know, have you read Lord of the Rings? Yep. Have you read Chronicles of Narnia? Yep. Have you read Harry Potter? Yep. And you loved all those? Yep. Well, guess what? There's a whole yeah. other series that's just as good that you've never heard of. Chronicles yeah, of Pride. Uh, Go get it. Uh, boom. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it was, it's, it, what is it? It's, yeah, I think it was written in the 60s. 
Yeah, right? so it's it's about fifty years old. Yeah. yeah, so it's been a, so, and that in itself is kind of uh, that like delightful surprise is lo- like one of the charms of this book that like you read it and you, you, like ooh this has been around for so long and like very few people know about it. I, I feel like that's part of I can remember that as a kid reading it and being aware that no one else had really heard of it before and that felt kind of uh, special. <laughs> and that and that's one of the you know honestly I hope this is a a conversation that we continue outside the the confines of the podcast even just because it's one of the delightful things about series like this is when you discover them at first it's exciting in the way that Narnia it, it's this secret kingdom that that you almost have to yourself and then you get to introduce it to the people close to you you, you bring your brothers and sisters and take them to the back of the wardrobe too and then you share in it together you know and and that being able to affect that introduction and then just uh, share the, the, like the pleasures of that kind of imaginative world. I mean, it, it's, it's just a lot of fun. I mean, it, it's really, it's really a wonderful thing. If you want to learn more about this book and other bedtime stories, check out our website at 1001goodnights.com. That's 1001goodnights.com. Be sure to sign up for our monthly email newsletter to get updates about upcoming seasons and other new content. Finally, please help us out by rating the show on iTunes. This helps spread the word about the show and get it in front of new listeners each week.